Amen. That's what we do when we come here. And so um, we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been going verse by verse, it seems like, through this whole chapter. Have we not? Yes, we have. We started talking about, um, uh, you know, it being a family thing about. He, he, this whole thing of walking keeps coming up, but about being part of a family, being part of a body of Christ. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We talked about how the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the presence of God himself in us that is the emulsifier bringing us together. And it talks about how that even though we're one, we're each one, we're distinct. And um, because if you and someone else is exactly alike, one of you is not necessary, right? So we're all uniquely made and we have unique experiences. Experiences, even our bad mistakes of the past, God, when we put it in his hands, can shape and mold this into something that he can use for his glory. Now, what happened may still not be good, but God can bring good. Each one of us have past. Each one of us have experiences. Each one of us have upbringings and different things like that that God puts together in this thing. And, and, and only the Holy Spirit can bring that together into one. And we all have different gifts and different abilities that he gave us, different callings. And when it all comes together, then the body of Christ functions as he wants it to, uh, following the head, which is Jesus Christ, and building itself up. Remember we studied that? Building itself up in love. We're building each other up. None of this tearing each other down. That's what the world does. And here, we're building each other up. Okay? And uh, even when we have to confront each other about things, it's for the purpose of building each other up. And then the other thing we do is we try to reach out and help others find their way in. This is what we're doing. So, uh, talking about this this morning, we're going to look at verses 17 through 24. Walk this way. Now, I did not want to use Aerosmith or anybody like that for an introduction on this, so get that out of your mind. But what I think of is this. You remember those, I love those old movies, especially the old Three Stooges, right? I mean, I still just get a blast out of that, where, you know, they go up to this, this, this creepy old house, and they knock on the door. They're looking for someone, and this strange character opens the door. Yes. And they say, well, we're here to see Mr. So-and-so. And he says, hmm, walk this way. You know, and they turn off and start, you know, and then the three stooges, they don't just follow him. They imitate him, you know, and walk like he is, you know, it's like walk this way, right? That's hilarious. Come on. It's still funny. I still crack up when I see that walk this way. So, so, but you know what? That's a lot of what Paul is saying here when he's telling us to walk this way. It's not just we walk in that direction, but we actually imitate Christ. We imitate him. So walk this way. I don't know. I love that. I love that. He's telling us here how to live, how to walk. How to walk means how you live. Uh, that's what he says in verse 17. Um, in fact, he uh, tells us in verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God. That's exactly what we're talking about. Why? Because we found out as we've gone through and dissected this chapter uh, that it's, it's, um, it's not just about the direction we are to imitate the example Christ left for us. Why? Because you're a new person. Your sins are paid for by Christ on the cross. You're forgiven by God because of that and because you've received him by faith. You now have God's presence living inside you to empower you and you've got God's truth to guide you. So things ought to be different. They can be different. And um, so Paul has already laid down in this chapter, if you've it, it, not just in this chapter, but in this whole book of Ephesians. And we've not gone verse by verse through. I thought we could just digest chapter 4, okay? But if you go back to chapter 1, there's some heavy stuff here. 
We picked up with the practical part. And a lot of times Paul in his books, like in Romans, he does this. He does this in, in, in Ephesians and other places where at first he lays some deep doctrinal heavy stuff. And then he kind of then switches to more of a practical, how this impacts our life. Now knowing what we know, how should we live? Make sense? Are you with me? I need to know. Oh, really, I do. Need to know. You, okay, I keep, I keep repeating myself if I don't think you are. Okay. Uh, so the great pr- pr- the, the, the position that we have in Christ, the great truths that come out here of our position in Christ, how we're chosen in him, we're sealed with his spirit. We were dead, but now we're made alive spiritually. We are saved by grace. Amen. Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding may be open, that we may be able to understand all these truths, that if the enemy can keep us ignorant, He can keep us defeated. And we've also learned that since we're all in Christ, if you have come to faith in Christ, that you are in Christ. And if we are all in Christ, then we're all part of the same family and we're all part of the same body and we are to walk in unity. That's not uniformity. We don't all look the same, sound the same, or smell the same, frankly. But uh, we're to walk in unity. That means we have oneness of purpose and and direction and power and, and all of that. So now Paul turns the corner and teaches that since and if you are in Christ, we're to walk a different walk. We live a different life. We're to walk in newness and in purity of life. Uh, Now, remember, without the relationship with Christ, you have no power to do this. This is not something you do on your own to earn brownie points with God. This is something that God does in you and through you because you love him and he wants to uh, use your life and fulfill your life and you want to glorify him. See, it's motivated by love. Love's the powerful motivator, isn't it? Guilt and duty will only get you to do so much. But when you love someone, you will do crazy things. And because God loves us so much and none of us deserved it, he was willing to come in the flesh and take our sin debt and pay an eternity's worth of the wrath of God that I deserved and you deserved on the cross. And not only that, he conquered death, he conquered sin, and he rose victoriously. That's what the gospel's all about. And, um, and, and because he loves us so much. And he talked about, we just left off last week about how that when, each, when, when a body of Christ is working properly, that we continue to build, our, build each other up in love, in love. It's all about love, the love of God working. And uh, it's the motivating factor that he loves us and we love him. And it motivates us to want to walk a different walk. That's what he talks about here. Um, so let's read the text. How about that? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says this, he says, Now this I say, and he said, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles is talking about heathens, right? All those nations of people who don't know the Lord. And he says that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the way he wants us to walk. We had enough of that, right? 
And, and, and we need something that he wants to do different. So our salvation, listen to this, listen to this. Our salvation is not a matter of just self-improvement. Everybody's like self-help, self-improvement. People are like into that. That's not what this is. He's not looking to just improve or perfect what previously existed. What was the verse that Cheryl shared with us about how Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, right? I come to an end of me that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. That's what he's talking about here. Yeah, amen. So uh, it's not just about that, about improving what previously existed. It's not merely, listen to this. Now listen to this. It's not, are you listening to this? Okay. It's not merely a renovation. It is a recreation. See, God wants to do more than just renovate you. He wants to recreate you. I remember one time there was a real estate agent walking along and trying to sell this old building that was in an old town, kind of like we got here. You know, and, and the building was in bad shape and all this. And, and uh, the guy was willing to pay a good price. And the realtor was kind of surprised and said, well, you know, uh, they kind of made the deal. said, I'm just curious. Said, How are you going to fix this up? And what are you going to do? He says, I'm not wanting the building. I want the site. <laughs> you know, that's what God wants. He wants access to the site so he can build in and through our lives. Uh, and he's the creator. He's the Lord of all. He knows what works best. Amen. So it's not just a renovation. It's a recreation. He doesn't want to just renovate or reform you. He wants to transform you and me. Many people seem to be content to just add Jesus. I mean, that's like, you know, just start coming to church and everything. And I, I, want, to, I want to go to heaven when I die and all that. And it's just like, uh, I've got my life and my thing that I do that I'm in control of. And I just want to add Jesus to it. It's more than that. Don't be content for that. The New Testament speaks of Christ transforming our lives and making us a new creation in him in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Remember that? And as believers, we're described as this. We have a new mind. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We have a new will. We have a new heart. We have a new inheritance. We have a new relationship. We have a new power. We have a new knowledge. We have new wisdom. We have new perception. We have new understanding. We have new righteousness. We have new love. We have new desire. We have a new citizenship. We're citizens of heaven. And all kinds of other things that are summed up in this phrase, newness of life. That's what we have. And, and that's one thing that he mentions over in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Paul says, therefore, your baptism. Did you know your baptism is a testimony of this? And that's why we're commanded that we should be baptized. Uh, it illustrates all of this. And that's why we baptize the way we do because it properly, he says, therefore, it illustrates this. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death. Now, the last time I buried something, I didn't just sprinkle or pour dirt on it. I put it like under the dirt, right? And that's the picture of when we're baptized. As you go under the water, you are buried with Christ in baptism. And it's a picture of you identifying yourself by faith with Jesus' death on the cross to pay for your sins. And not only that, but we didn't stay under the water, right? You know, I baptize a lot of you. <laughs> Some of you I maybe should have held down there for a little while. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it says we are buried with him through baptism uh, unto death. 
the death of me, and I'm identifying with his death for my sins. That, just as Christ was not just raised from the, uh, yeah, we're not just raised from the water, just like Christ was raised from the grave. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So it's a picture of just like Christ coming out of the grave. My baptism pictures my identifying with his death, and then I'm identified with his resurrection as I come up out of the water. I'm already resurrected on the inside. I was spiritually dead. Now I have spiritual life. And and because I have new life, I have resurrected life on the inside. Now I'm looking forward to the full resurrection later on. We're going to be made absolutely perfect. But right now, I've been resurrected. I have spiritual life. And since I have new life, I ought to live a new life. There's nothing more sad than to receive the opportunity for all this and we just continue to live the old life. Now, we grow. There's a process here. And we're never going to be perfect until the other resurrection comes, right? And we're going to be made one of these days. It's coming. But since you are a new person in Christ, walk like it. Live like it. So we're still focused on the theme that introduced this chapter where he said to, did you see that? Chapter 4, verse 1, to... He said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So we're still, we're still focused on that. Do you see that? And uh, so he says now uh, how we are to, we must not walk that way, but we're going to live this way. So the point he's bringing out in verse 17, he says, now this I say, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the heathen do, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Basically what he's saying is, is you did that. It was futile. Right? Enough. Didn't you get enough of that? Didn't you get enough of that? It's like time that dad tried to get, and, and, and another guy named John Ballard tried to get me, chick, uh, get me sick, excuse me, on chewing tobacco. You know, <laughs> you got enough? Here, have some more, have some more. You got enough? Have some more, have some more. Believe me, I got enough of it. The whole world started spinning around. I was five years old. Okay, this wasn't last year. I was five years old. The whole world started spinning around and around and around. And, and they say I turned green. I don't remember that part, but there's a lot I don't remember about that day. But you had enough? Is that enough? You want more? So you're sick and you're, 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 you're like throwing up, you know, and everything. It's like, how about now? Would you want some more now? And, and, you know, it's kind of like the Lord needs to ask us that. We get ourselves in a mess. Our lives become a disaster. And we're miserable. And we know this is no good. And it's like, have you had enough? And there's some people out there, it's like, what is it going to take for them to realize that's enough? Right? All right. Enough. Um, my brother used to ask me, have you had enough? He used to do this thing, my older brother. I'd pester him and all that. And he'd get me down. Because he's four and a half, nearly five years older than me. He would get me down and... Uh, pin me and uh this is not meant to be disrespectful but it's what he called chinese torture does anybody know that term and he would and and, and he yeah and and uh, i would try to be tough yeah he would get me down he'd pin me down and he'd start torturing me and he's like you had enough you had enough you had enough you got to say it have you had enough uh sometimes we let the devil get us down and we put our arms right out there. And we're going through all this stuff. Have you had enough? And that's what Paul's saying. Didn't you get enough of that, uh, of that way of living that brought you so much pain, depression, and misery? Why would you want to live like that any longer? So, as we said, to walk means to live. And they had already lived in futility, ignorance, selfishness, wickedness, and greed. 
It's futile to try to find peace and fulfillment and true joy apart from your creator. The world and the flesh, the world that we live in, that's why it's so imperfect, and the flesh, human beings, we've been cursed by sin. It's in the book. Because of Adam and Eve's sin and because of our own sin. The world's not a perfect place. And there's unfair and bad things happen here. And we ourselves, our bodies, as well as our souls are cursed by sin. We have that sin nature. We have to deal with that. Uh, and so there's nothing any, there's nothing any good that, that any of this is going to give us. We got to have something from our Lord, from our God. And that's why he came to redeem you from that lost world and that lost sinful nature. To redeem means to buy back. That means God himself paid the price to buy us back. And he has a higher purpose for you. He didn't just buy you back just so you can walk the streets of glory and maybe have a uh, cabin in the corner of glory land or something. I don't know. He's got more than that. Okay, he's got more. Right here, right now. Purpose. And so he directs our attention with, I like this. Every word of the, the scripture is inspired, I believe. And, and, and he says, now this I say. That's Paul's way of saying, um, now y'all listen to this. Pay attention, y'all. And he says, I'm not only going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something you need to hear. And I need you to know it's not all from me. Now, Paul's an apostle called and sent out by Christ himself. The resurrected Christ himself sent Paul out. Use him to write down a good part of the New Testament. She says, I say and testify in the Lord. Now, that's why that part's in there. I testify in the Lord. What, what, is it, what do you do when you testify? Well, you're a witness. He says, I'm testifying in the Lord, and I'm a witness that it's not just me saying this. I'm testifying in the Lord that I'm a witness. This is what God is saying to you through me. That's what that means. That's what that means. So I, I think if God's saying this, I need to listen. And it's significant that the basic issue of lifestyle as we go through this centers around the mind. He says that you, that you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles, as the heathens do, in the futility of their what? Of their minds. It's contrasted with renewing your mind. Now, the word uh, futility means empty or useless. Something is futile, it's empty, it's useless. You've lived long enough in that emptiness, in that uselessness. Um, and this is contrasted with verse 23, if you noticed where it says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So we're going to be renewed in the spirit of our minds because unbelievers and Christians think differently. Because we think differently than we did before, we act differently. You're going you're gonna to tend to act according to the way you think. So the way you think and what's going on in your mind is very important. That's why last early spring we did a whole series on renewing our mind. And many of us did the Bible study, Winning the War in Your Mind, uh, by Groeschel. And we had that going on, and we focused on this whole thing. It's, it's about the Bible word of sanctification, all right? As he's making the way our minds work even new. So because we think differently, we act differently. So the Bible teaches that our sinfulness, it flows out of our sin-cursed, depraved mind. Our minds are even corrupted. And, being, and, and that's why transformation must begin with the mind. It says in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So being a true Christ follower, I'm not sure you're ready for this. Because we just want to have an experience. I just want to have an experience. An experience is great and it has a very important part to play. 
But I want to tell you that being a Christian is mental before it is experiential. You have to make a decision. It involves your mind. Right? It's our thinking. Follow me now, please. It is our thinking that makes us consider the gospel. And our thinking that causes us to believe the historical facts and spiritual truths of the gospel to the point that we believe and know that it is real and it is valid to the point that we commit our life to it. That we put genuine faith in Jesus Christ to save us. We believe in him as our Lord as well as our Savior. It involves thinking, okay? That's why the very first step in what we call repentance, it involves the mind. The word repentance literally means to change your mind. We change from thinking this way and living this way. We turn directions and think this way to live that way. That's what repentance is all about. And that's no wonder then he says the renewing of your mind. And so it's enough futility of your mind. You, just Even your, your thoughts and everything, just empty. Now, as I see there, the, the, that word futility comes from one that indicates something that fails to produce the desired result. That which never succeeds. It's therefore used as a synonym for empty or vain or useless because it amounts to nothing. I like the way the New Living Translation renders this. That you walked like, like the heathen do. Uh, hopelessly confused. That might be a good way to say it. Hopelessly confused. So you've had enough utility. Enough uselessness. Enough going nowhere. How about this? How about enough ignorance? Have you had enough of that? He brings that out in verse 18. Look at it. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of what? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. For a lot of people, to be called ignorant is to be a, is a greater offense than to be called sinful these days, right? You can tell someone you're sinful, and so what? You can say you're ignorant, and like, man, boy, now that, that, really, that really bites right there. Paul's point in this passage is that ignorance and sin are inseparable. There's one thing that we have that God can't use, and that's our ignorance. I, can I just say something here? There was a time years ago, even in the church, that it was almost like ignorance was bliss. You know? People brag about how much they didn't know. And I just follow what the Lord leads me. Well, the Lord's going to lead you. He's going to have to teach you. Right? Holy Spirit has never called to my mind a verse that I haven't read. That's just the way he works. He works in concert with the word he has authored. We want a shortcut. We just want an experience that bypasses all that. He says, get in the book. That's why, that's why we gather for teaching, right? I'm not just here to be a motivational speaker. And if we're going to preach or proclaim something, we need to be teaching this truth because this is alive and powerful. Anything I come up with isn't going to help you very much. It's the word of God. And what I want to do is just be used by God to bring it to life so that we can understand it and we know what it says and we know what it means and we know how to apply it to our lives. That's what this is all about. And this helps us be prepared to go out and be equipped to do the work of the ministry, right? That's right there in chapter four. Um, we studied that a few weeks ago. The ungodly are always learning. They may be intelligent, but they're always learning, always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, that's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 7. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning. That's our world today, isn't it? 
But not only are they ignorant, but uh, their understanding is darkened so that they cannot understand. Did you see that? They are darkened in their understanding. And the result of being darkened in understanding and not coming to God's truth is that they are separated. That is alienated. That means separated from not just God, but the life of God. God is the source of all life. You're not really even living. You're separated from the life of God and the life God wants to give you. Why? Because of the darkness of your understanding, the ignorance, and because of, well, look what he says. Due to their hardness of heart. The hardness of the heart. They, they are unresponsive to God's truth. Now, that word translated hardness of heart, uh, some translations say blindness. And the reason why is the Greek word itself, this is translated into our language from, literally means to become rock hard. And sometimes this word, if you study it out, was used in reference to blind people. Because in those days, uh, uh, one of the major causes of blindness would cause people's eyes to crust over and become hard. And so they used that word to describe blindness a lot of times. See, sin has a petrifying effect on us. And the heart of a person who chooses to reject God, who chooses to reject his truth, and wants to be dark in their understanding. They don't want to understand that their, their hearts become hardened and, and paralyzed to spiritual truth. They become insensitive to the things of God. They can't see and can't hear and feel what you hear, see, and feel. They don't want to know. They want to do things their own way. And they persist in that until they come to a point of not being able to know. Remember Jesus said that um, these people you know, have eyes but they don't see. They have ears but they don't hear. Why? It's because they don't want to hear. Their hearts have become calloused. He uses a similar word there that their hearts have become calloused. Less they should see and less they should understand. They don't want to understand to the point that they get so calloused they can't understand. Until they let God open their heart. The result is alienated from the life of God. The source of all life. Enough futility. Enough ignorance. Amen. He's not done. How about enough being callous. Spiritually callous. Verse 19. We're not done. We got we to gotta look at this. It says. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now. Uh. Like the New King James translate that instead of callous, it translates it, they're past feeling. That's what happens when you get calloused, you can't feel. That's kind of how that comes together. The word that's translated here actually comes from the word that we get our English word apathy from. That means you just don't feel. And when you have a callous, you can't feel. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you had that uh, big callous on your hand. And uh, you, you can actually sit down the stove. It's like, what's cooking? You don't feel anything yet. It's just burning through the couch. Oh, it's me, right? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I've known some people like that. Uh, it means to not feel any pain. Even the conscience can become so calloused and scarred with tissue that is not sensitive to wrong. That even the conscience, in 1 Timothy 4, 2, I don't have it up there. He talks about people that even their conscience becomes like it's seared with a hot iron. You can get that way. Any of you could, of us. I should throw myself in there, right? We could get there. That's what happens. So enough ignorance, enough futility, enough being hardened and calloused, 
and just enough depraved living. I actually retitled that nasty wickedness. Nasty. It's nasty. Look what he says. He says, uh, they, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, they totally have given themselves over to it. Now, it's translated sensuality here. Some translations say lewdness, or the old word in the old King James is lasciviousness. I don't know. I kind of like that, lasciviousness. Got a lot of syllables in that. Lascivious. Uh, what does that word mean? Well, it's a word that indicates absence of all moral restraint. That's how you get there. How can some people be that way? You don't get there usually all at once. But you give yourself over to this. And, and, and then it says, not only that, of every kind of impurity. That um, means uncleanness. Just like you think about something physically being just nasty and yucky. Spiritually and morally, that's what they give themselves to. It's just nasty. And it says here something interesting. It says they are greedy. Did you see that? To practice every kind of impurity or uncleanness. Greedy. Right there is where there's a greed, and it indicates this. We've talked about this before. That law of diminishing returns comes into play there. You know what that is? You're greedy for something. You've got to have it. You've got to have it. But yet the more you crave it, the less it has the ability to fulfill that craving. That happens with addictions. It happens with all kinds of things, even impurity and sin. Uh, An increased desire for that which decreases, an increased desire for that which decreases in its ability to satisfy. As you continue to desire something more and more and more, then it has less of an ability to deliver whatever it is you're wanting it to. And as its ability to deliver decreases, your desire increases. And as that gap grows, you go to plumb insanity. That's what happens. Well, anyway, let's wrap this up. Whew, I thought I would never say that. Okay. I mean, you weren't thinking the same thing. Good. So then he says, so off with the old. If you're going to be new, if you're going to walk a different way, you got to get rid of the old stuff, right? Um, he says in verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Living like that's not how you learn Christ. Now, this, this actually has reference to salvation. Because to learn, watch this, to learn in the Greek, the word there, can I throw something kind of, kind of uh, I, I just want to be careful with this because I don't want to sound slick, okay? But I just want to look at the grammar of the original. In the original, this is in the Greek. The Greek word is what we call the aorist active indicative. What does that mean? The only reason I'm telling you that is that it means it refers to a point of action, a one-time action. That you learned Christ. That is, you knew enough about him that you came to a point that you received Christ as your Savior. This is talking about your salvation. You didn't come to know Christ as your Savior. You didn't learn Him and get to know Him and be saved by Him that way. You, you did this to escape that, right? So why do you want to go back? Because learning involves gaining and applying knowledge. So this is that moment of learning enough about the gospel that you trust him and receive him as your eternal savior. It's that moment of knowing Christ and salvation where he becomes your Lord and savior. It's possible to know of Christ, to know about Christ, yet not really know him. Uh, Maybe you're somewhere in public and you see someone that you see on TV. Maybe they're on the news or you know, a newscaster. Or maybe they're some sports celebrity. You say, hey, I know that guy. 
Well, you know who he is. I know that guy. But you don't know them. You can't go up and say, hey, how are you doing? And then call your name. You just know who they are. All right. When we're talking about knowing Christ, it's more than just knowing who he is. Got it? Amen. Thank you. Now, there was a lot of false teaching going on already in this time. And there's a lot of false teaching today. The best liar is a liar that tells a lie that sounds the most, most like the truth, right? That's why if ever before you need to be on your toes, you need to be in the word of God, you need to be learning and growing and knowing. Because Satan is a slick operator. And the Bible itself says that in these last days it's going to get worse. In fact, Paul even talks about a time in, in Thessalonians when this man of sin is revealed. And there are people that are led astray. And one reason, even those who would surprise you that are led astray by this, the reason why they were is because they did not have a love for the truth. You let some imitator come along seeming to work great miracles and speak great things, but there's something a little off scripturally about them. You'd be surprised how many people would just follow them. You'd be surprised. I'm just saying, if there were to be someone come along that could seem to have knowledge, that how did they get that knowledge? Or if there's somebody come along that could work miracles that you really couldn't explain and all of that, it had a lot of people, even if they weren't quite square with what Scripture says with their teaching, they would still follow them because look at this. That's why you've got to be in the Word of God. We'll come back to that in Thessalonians sometimes because that's a, that's a big issue. The reason why they were deceived is because they didn't have a love for the truth. We've got to have a love for the truth of God. And um, so... When he says, he's assuming that they've had the real deal, that they have learned the genuine truth which only exists in the one who is the way and the truth and the life, Jesus Christ. That's why he says this. He says that assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I'm assuming that you got the real gospel, the genuine truth, and not the false stuff. If you got the fake stuff, it's no wonder you're struggling. I'm assuming that you really know the truth and you have trusted it instead of something else. But notice, I want to just kind of expand on this a little more because it's not just that your mind is changed or renewed, but he says in the spirit of your mind. Did you see that? That it's not just that your, your mind, your mind is, is you're, you don't just change your opinions about things. Your whole mind is transformed. It's a total change in the moral and spiritual capabilities of your inner self. This is soul and spirit level things here. It's not just gray matter when he's talking about this. It involves the gray matter of your brain, but it's more than that. So the truth is that this is not only about you putting on Jesus. It's about you putting off all that old stuff that was so can I say it? Futile. This is how we walk worthy of the calling. Verse 1, right? Of chapter 4. This is how we love one another. This is how we have the power to forgive, amen, one another. This is how we become a part of the body of Christ and fulfill our function using the gifts that he gives us. So the key verse is right here, verses 22 through 24, when he says that... Um, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And you got to understand, it's corrupt. 
It's corrupt through deceitful desires. The desires are deceitful. They'll trick you. I've been tricked by my own self, my own fleshly nature, sinful desires. Have, have you? A lot of you guys are a lot more spiritual than I am, evidently. But he says, he says you got to put that off. It's deceitful. It's corrupt. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You know what? We're to put off the old self, put on the new. Crucified with Christ. Glad you read that verse. We didn't even talk, did we? Wasn't that amazing? And we were dead, but now we're alive in Christ. Warren Wiersbe used to say, we take, we take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Right? You put them off, just like you put off your clothes. You don't do the Mr. Rogers thing and hang it in the in the closet, you know, so you can put it back on in the morning, right? You don't, yeah. But you, you get rid of it, you put it off. That means throw it away, right? You know, it's like some of those old shirts that I continually wear over and over, and Chris says, We well, need to throw that thing away, right? And I think sometimes we have a yard sale. If she has time to put one, she sneaks some of my stuff out there, and it's like, I'm just like a kid with their little night night security blanket. It's like, Ah, I need my shirt. I need my shirt. Uh, why, why is it that I, I try to keep myself healthy and, and things like that? It's because I don't want to get out of shape to the point that I can't wear my favorite shirts. Okay, there it is. <laughs> wanna, they, they get a little tight at times, you know. But, but here he's saying you don't need to be that way with your old life. You need to put it off. You need to throw it away. I think of Lazarus. Yeah, this is good. When he was raised from the dead. And that's us, out of the grave, like Lazarus. We sing that. Love that. <laughs> Lazarus was raised from the dead. Just like spiritually we've been raised from the dead. But when he came stumbling out of the tomb, he had a problem, did he not? He had on his grave clothes. And he had these cloth, they wrap them around. He come out like mummy's, like mummy's tomb. You know, he said, Lazarus has been brought back to life. And he, he, they, they roll the stone back. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out and everybody freaks out. Huh? And Jesus finally says, hey, somebody go loose him. He's all bound up. Lazarus, you know, he's alive, but he's wearing his grave clothes. You can't talk. You can't move in those things. Get rid of the grave. Some of us been raised from death to life. We're still wearing our grave clothes. He says, get rid of those. Put on the grace clothes. Off with the old, on with the new. That's what he said. Put on the new self created in Christ Jesus. So it's more than just a renovation. It is a recreation. He remakes us. Created in true righteousness and holiness. Greek is literally according. He says we're created in the likeness of God. Let me say it that way. In righteousness and holiness. Created in the likeness of God. The Greek is according to what God is. Now, I'm not as perfect as God. I still got things that are happening. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, right? He's still working on me, all that. But, you know, those who confess Jesus as Lord become a partaker. It says in, if, if you, and I don't have it up there, in 2 Peter 1, 4, become a partaker of the divine nature. But we're created in righteousness and true holiness. This is a real deal that we can't manufacture ourselves. This has to come from God. In the original Greek, the word true is placed in contrast to the word deceit. A lot of people have a fake, deceitful righteousness and holiness. And they're very religious but this is true righteousness, true holiness. Someone said that the righteousness relates to our fellow person. 
and it reflects the last six commandments of how we treat each other. And that holiness relates to the first four commandments and how we respond to God. That's a good way to look at that. But it's probably even deeper than that. So as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you possess a new nature. Are Are we ready to do this again? A new self. You have a new holy and righteous inner person that is fit for the presence of God. We are new, but not yet all new. As I said, we are righteous and holy, but we've not attained to the state of perfect righteousness and perfect holiness, which we will have in his presence in heaven. But understanding the reality of our salvation transforming us is essential if we're to know how to live as followers of Christ in the body of Christ to which we belong. This is essential. All right, how about some take home? See, my thing is, is don't just sit here and hear this and like, okay, and then we just leave and it's done. You know, I've gone for some great meals and it was awesome. And then I leave and I'm like, man, I can't even believe I was hungry earlier. And then I get home, a few hours pass, and it's like I must have stretched my stomach because I'm like, I'm kind of hungry. I wish I wouldn't have eaten all of it and brought some of it home with me, right? So we got some takeout. Take this home with you and chew on it a little bit, okay? All right. Here's some. Here's some thoughts. The old self, the old self, the old person is self-centered and futile. The new is Christ-centered and purposeful. Futile, purposeful. The old me was ignorant of God's truth. The new me should be knowing it, understanding it, and hungry for more. Put that, put that in there. Put that in there. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Amen. It doesn't seem like people are very hungry. The old is morally and spiritually hardened or calloused and shameless. The new me is sensitive to sin of every sort. Because the Holy Spirit is convicting me and guiding me in the word of God. He's using to guide me. The old is depraved in its thinking. Just all kinds of selfish, greedy, prideful, wicked thoughts. The new is a renewed mind. Rewired by him. The old leads to destruction. There is a way that seems right to mankind, the Bible says in Proverbs, but the end thereof is the way of death. There's a broad road, Jesus said, and it seems awesome. It's broad and easy, but it leads to destruction. He said, narrow is the gate that leads to life. This is the difference. So I'm going to ask you, have you learned about the truth as it is in Jesus? He asked him, I'm assuming you've learned the truth as it really is in Jesus. Have you really learned it? Like I said, I can learn about Abraham Lincoln from reading books about him, but I can never really know him and have a relationship with Abraham Lincoln, can I? He's dead. Don't look shocked. You knew he was... (laughs) You can know about him. But I can continue learning and knowing about Jesus Christ in a personal relationship because he's alive and living in me, living through his word. So are you renewed in the spirit of your mind? Are you ready to put off the old and put on the new? Parting thought. God will not deliver you from sin of which you are unwilling to let go. I should have put that up there. I knew it. God will not deliver you from sin of which you are unwilling to let go. Let's pray.